Joshua chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do, what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among the people. Get up, consecrate yourselves, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. There there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by, thou- by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered, Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. (coughs) So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak, the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkey and sheep and his tent, and all that he had, and they were brought them, and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And the holy Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord t- t- turned from his burning anger. 
Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Have you ever done something that was really foolish, and you know that it's foolish, you know that it's not going to have a good outcome, and yet you still do it regardless? Uh, like if you, know, you, you have your favorite dessert, and you have helping after helping, and you know that you're going to throw up at the end of it, but you still keep doing it. Well, I've done a lot of foolish things in my life. You could probably write a book about all the foolish things. But two stories kind of came to my mind when I thought about this. Uh, The first story was uh, when I was a teenager, I had a pet cockatiel, which is a little bit bigger than a parakeet, but a relatively small bird. Um, And I would, you know, I loved the bird. I would walk around. It would kind of hang out on my shoulder. And I got this bright idea that I was going to take this bird outside. You can see where this is going. I, I knew that this was not a good idea, but I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could just walk around outside and the bird would just sit on my shoulder? And so I took it outside, and after a couple minutes of enjoying the sun, the bird decided he was going to take off and flew away. Thankfully, I was able to find him because he, his wings were partially clipped, so I found him in the backyard sometime afterwards. But I knew I could see that coming. Anyone could see that coming. You don't bring a bird outside that's a pet if you don't want to lose it. Another example. Last summer, uh, I locked myself out of my office. My office is in the back over here. And I uh, didn't know how to get in. I don't know. I, I don't, there was nobody really around. I didn't want to bother anybody. So at first, I went around the church and tried to break in the church. And uh, it was very secure. That's usually a good thing, but wasn't so good for me on that day. So the only possibility that I thought I had was to get in the window of my office. And uh, the window is right below the window is where we have the garbage cans. So I saw these garbage cans, and I thought that I would climb up on these garbage cans that have wheels on top of them to get climb into my window. And as I'm doing it, I know it's a stupid thing to do, but I'm doing it anyways, and I can almost see myself falling down, and sure enough, fell down and hurt my leg. But I just kept doing it, even though I knew it was foolish. And sometimes we do those things. We know something is foolish. We know how it's going to turn out, and still we do that. And I think we do that sometimes in regards to sin in our lives. We know the consequences. We know the outcome, and yet when the outcome comes, it's almost like we're surprised that it happens. We go out drinking every night. We misuse alcohol. We know it's not a good thing to do, but then we're surprised when we get a DWI or we come down with liver disease. We view pornography. We know it's not a good thing to do, but we think to ourselves, it's, it's not hurting anybody. And then we're surprised when we have trouble with relationships. Maybe we're given to gossip and we tell that we kind of spread things around to everybody and then we're surprised when people don't want to share things with us and we have trouble having close friends. Maybe we habitually treat our spouse poorly. We talk down to him or her and then we wonder why we're having problems with our marriage and it's falling apart. Maybe we don't give to others and we misuse what God has given us and then we wonder why God hasn't given us more. I think as human beings, we have this tendency to separate actions from consequences. 
And sometimes we do things that even though we know that they're not good things to do, even though we know the outcome and what's going to happen, we keep doing those things and are somehow surprised when the outcome comes. And I think this passage gives us a couple reasons why that's the case, why we do keep doing foolish things even though we know the outcome. And the first reason is that we presume upon the grace of God. We presume upon the grace of God. In this passage, uh, in chapter 6, we, Israel was kind of at a high point. They've entered into the promised land. Uh, they've entered into Jericho, and they really didn't even have to fight the battle. God gave them the victory. All they had to do is march around the city, shout, and the walls came down, and then they just had to go in and do what had to be done. They didn't really even have to fight the battle, so they're kind of at a high point there. And then Joshua sends them to the next city that they're going to attack, the city of Ai. And then these spies go and check out Ai, and then they come back, and you'll note that they, what they say and what they don't say. Note what they don't say. They don't say anything about God giving them the land. They don't say anything about consulting God. God isn't even present in this equation. They have strictly a human perception of what's going to happen in Ai. Look, at, look, for example, at the contrast between the spies' report here and the spies that had spied out the land in the past. Look, for example, at Joshua and Caleb, how they initially spied out the land and the report that they gave to Moses back in uh, the book of Numbers. Look at what they say. The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights... In us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. If the Lord delights in us, then he will give it to us. Look at what the spies say when they spy out Jericho. He said, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And then look finally at what the spies in this passage today say. Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil there, for they are few. First two sets of spies. God can give us this land, or God has already given this land. Third set of spies. We can take them. We can take them. There aren't many of them. We don't even need to bother all the armies. We'll just send a few thousand up and we can destroy them. If we destroy Jericho, we can destroy I. There's no mention of the Ark of the Covenant, which the Ark of the Covenant led them as they walked around Jericho. There's no mention of consulting God. This is purely a human perspective. And it seems like that they have this belief that they're going to be successful in any battle that they fight. If we defeated the people of Jericho, we can defeat any battle, any enemy. And so they kind of believe that God is going to be on their side and God is going to give them the victory no matter what happens. But God has only promised that they would be successful if they obey Him. In fact, God tells them that if they are not obedient to Him, then the curses of the covenant will fall upon them. But they have this belief that God is just going to keep fighting for them regardless of what they do. And it's almost like they've, put their tr- their, they've misplaced their trust from trusting in God to trusting in themselves and trusting that God will be behind them no matter what. 
And I think we can make a similar mistake in our own lives. As believers, we know that our sin has been forgiven by Christ. We know that our sin is as far as the east is from the west. Because of that, we can be in heaven. But that doesn't mean that sin has no consequences. God loves us. He'll use those things in our life for our good. But sometimes our sin can have painful and difficult consequences. But sometimes we can believe that just because God loves us, He cares about us, that He's going to erase all the consequences of sin in our life. And often that's not the case. So that's the first reason I think that sometimes we keep doing foolish things because uh, even though we know the outcome. I think the second reason is that we mistake the gift of time. So imagine a parent takes his or her child to a shopping center or a mall. And uh, that child starts acting up, starts misbehaving and running around the aisles and screaming and doing all sorts of things. And the parent says to the child, okay, Johnny, when you get home, you're going to be punished if you don't straighten up. There's going to be a severe punishment waiting for you when you get home if you don't straighten up. Now, one child might say to him or herself, well, uh, I've been pretty bad. Um, I deserve to be punished. But if I straighten up and if I'm really good, there's a little bit of time before I get home. If I'm really good for all that time, maybe my parent will be gracious and won't punish me. Another child might say, think to him or herself, well, I've been really bad, and I haven't been punished yet. So there's no telling that I'll be punished in the future, so I might as well just keep doing it, and who knows, maybe I won't be punished after all. I think sometimes we act more like the second child than the first. And I think the reason is because our, the consequences of our sin are often not immediate. Achan steals, first he covets, then he steals a coat, uh, silver and gold, and nothing happens immediately. There's no fireball that comes down from heaven. Nobody even knows what has happened until they lose the battle of eye. And so initially he probably thinks he's gotten away with it. He thinks he's uh, going to, you know, kind of swindle God over. That there's going to be no consequences. And it's interesting that even after the the loss of the battle at Ai, even when Joshua is trying to figure out who it is who has stolen this property, Achan doesn't come forward. It, It seems like still he's trying to get away with it. Still he thinks he can hide what he's stolen in his tent. And we see a similar thing throughout Scripture that our that consequences for our actions are not often immediate. Back in the book of Genesis and with Adam and Eve, they were put in the garden, and God told them if they would eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. Satan said, you won't die. And in a sense, he was, true, he was right. They ate of the fruit, and they did not immediately die. It took some time. Last week we learned that God waited 600 to 800 years before He brought judgment upon the Canaanites. It's quite rare that a consequence will will immediately follow our sin. And so sometimes when we sin and we don't experience consequences because of that, because a lightning bolt doesn't come down from heaven, we feel there are no consequences. So we might as well just keep, keep on doing it, keep on 
participating in this because I've been doing it. Nothing has happened and maybe nothing will happen in the future. But this passage reminds us that there are consequences for our actions. And even when there aren't consequences on this earth, we'll all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Even if we're believers, we'll have to stand before Him and account for the things we've done. Not as a measure of whether we'll get to heaven, but as a measure of rewards. And we'll have to give account to Him. Romans 14, 10-12 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I lived, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So as believers, we must not mistake the passage of time as meaning that there's no consequences for our action. But consider it a gift, a gift of grace where God gives us the opportunity to repent. So we've seen so far that there are consequences to sin, consequences to our actions, even if it's not readily apparent. But what are some ways that that's fleshed out? What are the consequences of our sin look like? The first consequence is that sin can result in individual and corporate punishment. Achan's sin, of course, resulted in his own death. Sometimes our sin can result in our own death, or it can result in a physical infirmity or suffering. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about people who took of, partook of communion inappropriately. And Paul says this, That is why many of you who are sick, or you are weak and ill, and some have died. So our sin can cause us, cause God to take us from this earth or cause us to be ill or to experience pain in this life. Now, of course, uh, that's not always the case. Anyone who is a believer experiences suffering and difficulty in this life. And if you're experiencing suffering, that doesn't mean that it's because of your sin. You know, if you're experiencing suffering in your life and you're thinking to yourself, well, what could I have done wrong that God would cause this to happen to me. If you're, if you're wondering about that and questioning it, it's probably not because of your sin. If it's because of your sin, you probably know exactly why it's happening to you. And you knew exactly what you do, need to do to repent. But note here also the incredible scope of Achan's sin. His whole family was had to be accounted for because of his sin. In the ancient world, when you talked about uh, people's actions. There wasn't this kind of individualism where we separate, separate the individual from the community. I mean, it's remarkable in this passage that it talks about Israel sinning. But it was really one man who sinned. And that reminds us of the fact that sin affects those around, around us. You know, we might not like to think about that, but sin affects anyone that comes into close contact with us. If you're dealing with a particular sin, it will affect your spouse. It will affect your child. It will affect your relationship with your parents or a sibling or even a friend. Anyone that we come into close relationship with, it will affect our relationship. And this applies to the big, bigger kind of issues or things that we consider to be bigger issues like uh, adultery or addictions or abuse. But it also applies to smaller things like 
greed, envy, pride, gossip. Our sin affects those around, around us. And the patterns of how we interact with other people can be kind of transmitted to other people. Our sin is not contained within ourselves. It always has an effect on those around us. It also has an effect on those in the body of Christ. In the passage that we're looking at today, the wider community suffered for the sin of one person. 36 people were killed and the rest of the and who knows how many were injured in that battle because of this one man's sin. In the group connect that we had a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, spiritual gifts, and we talked about uh, Pastor Phil talked about how this there's this idea that in the in the scriptures that we all need one another. Paul gives this metaphor of the body, how you need each member in the body in order for the body to function properly. And in the same way, when one member of the body is sick, it affects the whole body. I mean, if you have an eye infection, for example, you don't think to yourself, well, I have two eyes, so I might as well not worry about this one eye. Uh, Who cares about that one eye? If If you do that and you don't treat it, you might end up going blind in one eye. And if you let it go for too long, who knows, you might even die because of that infection. We don't do that from a physical standpoint. The same is true in a spiritual standpoint. All of us are important, and so a sickness from one of us affects all of us. You know, if you're not involved in community, you know, if you just come into church and you know, say hello to everyone, go out, you probably won't experience that. But as soon as we get into community, as soon as we get into a deep relationship uh, with other people, then our sin starts to come out. And it's not just one person, it's all of us. We all have those sinful patterns and tendencies in our hearts. And when we get involved in community, that sin comes out. And so sometimes when we have community, it can get messy. You know, we just say hello and, you know, pretend like everything's all right, go out the door, you know, Everybody's doing great, but when we get into community and people see our stuff, it has an impact on other people. And sometimes it can get messy. So sin can result in individual punishment, but it also can affect the body. Our sin is not contained within ourselves. It affects our families and it affects the larger body of Christ. We see second that sin can result in losing our reputation. Look at what Joshua says. Joshua says, O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from all the earth. Remember the reputation that the Israelites had. God delivered them from Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. He parted the Red Sea. He allowed them to defeat Sihon and Og. And remember what the spies, or what Rahab told the spies. She said, all the people here have heard of what your God has done, and they are terrified, they are melting with fear because of your reputation, so to speak. But now what is their reputation going to be? They've been defeated. They've been sent with their tail between their legs by this small little city. People around the Canaanites think to themselves, well, they're beatable. 
If this little city can defeat them, then maybe we can defeat them. And so it resulted in a loss of their reputation. And in the same way, as believers, our sin can cause us to lose our reputation. It can cause us to lose the platform that we have to share the gospel. When we do things that are not Christian-like, it can cause people to question our message and question us. So-and-so is a Christian, but he or she does the same things that I do. They get drunk all the time. He's cheating on his wife. She keeps talking bad about everyone behind their back. This couple, they say that they're Christians, but I see the way that he talks to her and she talks to him. And it seems like they're just like everybody else. And so sometimes our sin can cause us to lose our influence, our position, our opportunity to share the gospel. But also sin can harm God's reputation. Look at the question that Joshua says, and what will you do for your great name? What are the nations to think if in, if in their minds God cannot defeat the forces of I? Because in the ancient world, let's face it, the battles, the way that people viewed battles, it was not one army versus another army. It was one God against another God. And in, in their mind, they're thinking to themselves, the God of the Israel cannot, Israelites cannot defeat the God of I. And of course, we know it wasn't because God wasn't powerful enough. It was because His people sinned against Him. But I wonder how many people have been turned away from the gospel and from God because of the sin of the church, because of the sin of believers or so-called believers. You know, we can all think of famous televangelists and pastors who have fallen into sin and turned people away from the gospel. Recently, with the uh, all the allegations of sexual misconduct and sexual abuse in the Catholic Church, but also in many different churches and somehow sometimes how they've covered that up. Those things have had a serious detriment on the body of Christ, and sometimes those things can lead people away from God. See, when a person, when the outside world sees the sin of believers or so-called believers, they can think one of two things. The first thing they can think is that person is a bad person. And, you know, and they, that person kind of loses their influence or reputation. But the second thing and the more saddening and dangerous thing is they can think that person has a bad God. That person has a God that couldn't keep them from doing these bad things. Mark Clark writes this in his book, The Problem of God. Modern people contend that the greatest proof that God does not exist is the behavior of Christians themselves. In short, the way Christians live and act is solid proof in their minds of what Christians believe is not true. Our sin can either lead people away from God or towards Him. And this is true not just in in terms of sharing our faith with those around us, but it also can impact those inside of the body of Christ. Our sin or lack of faith can cause a lack of faith in someone else. In this very passage, we see Joshua crying out to the Lord. And we see him questioning God, saying, 
God, why did you even bring us across the Jordan? Why did you bring us into this battle if we're just going to be defeated? And we see this man's sin has a ripple effect and causes Joshua to question his faith. The same thing is true for our sin. Our sin can cause other people in the body of Christ to question their faith. To question if God really is faithful. So in conclusion, there's two things, two reasons that we might sin despite the consequences. Number one, we presume upon the grace of God. Number two, we mistake the gift of time. Some of the consequences or potential consequences of our sin is one, sin can result in individual and corporate punishment. Two, sin can result in losing our reputation. And three, sin can harm God's reputation. So how do we sum all this up? How, what is something that we can take away from this? I think we can learn that there's no such thing as a private sin. There's no such thing as a private sin. Any sin that we commit will eventually be brought to light, whether in this life or the next life. Any sin that we have has a ripple effect on those around us, on our families, on our community, on our church. But let's also remember that we serve a God who not acts not only as a judge, but who acts to us as believers as a father. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. He disciplines us for our good so that we might share His holiness. He disciplines us. He allows us to experience consequences of our actions Not to condemn us. Not just so that we would feel guilty. He he does those things so that we might grow into all that He wants us to be. He does those things to save us from the heartache that that He knows is coming at the end of that road. He acts as a Father to us. And the amazing thing that as a Heavenly Father, what He can do is sometimes He can take those, even those consequences... And He can redeem those consequences and teach us things through those things that we might never learn any other way. Author and professor Charles Kimball tells a story about a train that was going down the railroad tracks in Indiana at 24 miles per hour. The uh, conductor, Robert Moore, spotted an object on the tracks just about a city block ahead. The engineer thought it was a dog initially. And then the, engine, or the conductor cried out, it's a baby. This baby was a 19-month-old baby named Emily Marshall. She had wandered away from home while her mother planted flowers in her yard. The engineer hit the brakes, and the conductor, whose name was Moore, bolted out the door and raced along a ledge to the front of the engine. He realized there was no time to jump off and grab the child and then bring her to safety. So he ran down a set of steps, squatted at the bottom of the grill of of the engine, and held on. As the train drew closer to Emily, she rolled off the rail onto the roadbed, but she was still in danger of being hit by the train as it went by. 
So what Moore did was he stretched out his leg and he kicked her out of harm's way. He then jumped off the train, picked up the little girl and cradled her in his arms. Emily ended up with just a cut on her head and a swollen limp from being kicked off the train track. Kimball says this, Sometimes, like this train conductor, God must hurt us in order to save us. God must hurt us sometimes in order to save us. There's no such thing as a private sin. And God brings our sin to light. He allows us to experience the consequences of our sin because He knows the end. And He wants us to, f- to form us in the image of Christ. He wants us to live a life of delight in Him. Life that's filled with right relationships with other people. It's filled with love and grace. And He'll do whatever is necessary to keep us there. To keep us on that path of loving God and loving people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Your grace even when we're sinners. Even though we've all done and sometimes continue to do foolish things that we know are going to end badly, we thank You that You have grace. We thank You that You're a jealous God and You'll do what's ever necessary to keep us on the right path, to keep us in right relationship with You. Lord, I pray that as a people we would keep short accounts with You. That just because we haven't experienced consequences yet, that we would repent and turn to You. So maybe that there wouldn't be the consequences, or if there are, that You'd be able to redeem those and use them for our good to grow us closer to You. Lord, I pray that we would be people of holiness, people who honor You with our lives, so that we would have a message of authenticity, so that we wouldn't have a reputation that's sullied by sin, And ultimately, Lord, that we wouldn't bring shame upon your name. Because your name and resound are the desire of our hearts, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. We look forward to all that you're going to do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.